Leviticus 3, verses 1 to 17. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hands on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to God, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hands on the head of his offering, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and lay his hands on its head, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Catherine, for reading so well for us today. Uh, thank you, Michael, also for leading us so well uh, through this time of worship together. Uh, join me in a word of prayer as we continue in the book of Leviticus this morning. Father, we thank you that this too is your word, and we pray that as we open up your word, you will draw us face to face with Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, just to say, I do see a few new faces among us. My name is Z. I'm the pastor here, at, one of the pastors here at One Covenant Church. If I've not met you, we'd love to get to know you uh, right after the service. Uh, this week, I did some reading that made me realize that loneliness was a much more serious issue than I had previously thought. In 2021, a group of scientists from Duke NUS here in Singapore uh, together with scientists from Nihon University in Japan and other collaborators, they published the findings of the first ever longitudinal study to quantify the impact of loneliness on health expectancy. And what they found was older people, uh, 60 and above, who were lonely, who said they were lonely, lived between two to five years less on average compared with their peers. 
Now, a lot of times you think the solution to that is just to make sure uh, that older folk are staying with their families. And so a lot of public policy is geared towards that as well, for older folk to be able to stay with their families. But there was another study, and I'm uh, glad to say that the lead researcher is actually right here in the service, Professor Ko Woon Pui. She sent me the study because I found it on the internet and I said, can I have a copy? It was very interesting. Uh, this study actually found that 85.6% of older adults who say they are lonely are actually living with others. And most of them are actually living with their families. So what that tells us is physical proximity with people is not a measure of being connected with others. More than half of them felt that they could not turn to other people for help even though they were living with their families. And friends, this is not just a Singapore phenomenon. Just this month, the US Surgeon General Vivek Murthy released a health advisory on loneliness. And this is what he says. Loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. It harms both individual and societal health. It is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. I go to a martial arts gym and as a friend of mine, you know, he plays his, you, you go to the gym and there's a Bluetooth speaker, speaker and you can bring your playlist. Uh, his fight song, for whatever reason, includes uh, songs by Britney Spears. Now I know this is kind of dating me, but you know, hit me baby one more time song that didn't age very well. And I just realized this week that when Britney Spears sang, my loneliness is killing me, she's right. It literally does kill us. Loneliness is a much more serious issue than we had previously thought. Loneliness has a real impact on us and our health. And friends, the passage that we are looking at today, Leviticus 3, shows us a God who does not want us to be isolated from one another, but more importantly, a God who does not want us to be isolated from himself. Instead, we have God who has done everything to make a way for us to be deeply connected, not just with him, but with one another. You see, friends, Leviticus 3, as it was read so well for us by Catherine, is all about the peace offering. Now, that word peace, the root word, is the, root sh the word shalom in Hebrew. And that word is very rich. It doesn't just mean peace in the sense of world peace, like no war in a beauty pageant. It also means health, prosperity, goodwill, and more importantly, a good relationship with God. And this peace offering that we'll be looking at today brings about that deep connection between God and us, that deep communion between God and us, and that deep connection with others as well. This offering brings about communion with God and with one another. And as we have seen from the studies, this can literally save your life. And so friends, very quickly, let's look at three aspects of the peace offering today. The vertical, the horizontal, and the sacramental. The vertical, the horizontal, and the sacramental. Now friends, as you read Leviticus 3, you notice how similar the peace offering is to the burnt offering of Leviticus 1. Now, those of you who have been with us for a few weeks, you know that the burnt offering was the offering that brings atonement. An animal was offered on the altar. It was completely burnt up, completely annihilated in the place of the one offering it so that their sins could be forgiven and so that they could be made acceptable to God. 
the peace offering is very similar in its details. Let's look at some of the details. Like the burnt offering, you could offer different types of animals. There were cattle, verses 1 to 5, lamb, verses 6 to 11, or a goat, verses 12 to 16. Like the burnt offering, the animal had to be without blemish, verses 1 to 6. The worshiper laid hands on the animal and killed it, just like the burnt offering in verse 2. The priest takes the blood and sprinkles it on the altar, just like the burnt offering. And after it is burnt, it produces a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Verses 5 and 16, very similar to the burnt offering. In fact, it is so closely related to the burnt offering that verse 5 says that it should be offered on top of the burnt offering. In other words, friends, you cannot have the peace offering without the burnt offering. You cannot bring about communion with God without first having your sins atoned for and without having the burnt offering making you acceptable to God. You cannot have communion before God, with God before atonement and acceptance with God. And friends, that's exactly the case with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, being justified or made righteous by faith, we have peace, we have shalom with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through the death of Jesus Christ, the one to whom the burnt offering points, that our sins can be forgiven. We can be made righteous. And as a result of being made righteous, we have peace, we have shalom, we have communion with God. And at the same time, friends, the peace offering presses us beyond atonement to acceptance and its acceptance to communion. You see, friends, there are also significant differences between the peace offering and the burnt offering. In the peace offering, parts of the animals are given to the worshiper to eat. Look at verses 3 and 4, 9 and 10, and 14 to 15. In the burnt offering, the entire animal is burnt up on the altar. It's all given to God. In the peace offering, a part of the animal goes to the worshiper. So God gets a portion, and the worshiper gets a portion. It's a picture of sharing a meal. And in the ancient Near East, in their culture, a meal seals friendship and covenants. I saw a video, I think it was on Facebook this week, and a Chinese-American lady said something like this. My mother has never said I love you, but I knew she always loved me because she would always cook for me. And some of you have experienced that too. My mother never said I love you, but I always knew she loved me because she would cook for me. And that's what's happening here. When God gets a portion and the worshiper gets a portion, this is God himself inviting us to a meal, inviting us to fellowship, inviting us to relationship, inviting us to communion. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Friends, the peace offering teaches us that to truly embrace the gospel, we need to press beyond just forgiveness and acceptance and atonement to connection and communion with the true and living God. Yes, forgiveness of sins is important. Yes, being, having our sins atoned for and being accepted by God is important. But the goal of atonement, my friends, is communion and relationship with the living God. Now, what does that look like? Now, look, friends, at verses 3 to 4, 9 to 10, and 14 to 15. What part of the animal 
does God get? It says there that he gets the fat, he gets the kidneys, and he gets the lobe around the liver. Now, there are different reasons, different explanations for this, but here's a shot at what it means. You see, friends, the fat is the very best of something. So in the book of Genesis, it refers to the fat of the land. It's the very best of something. And remember, when they're offering the animal, it's a representation of the one bringing the offering. In other words, by giving the fat to God, they are offering the very best of themselves to God. Not just the leftovers, but they're bringing the very best of who they are to God. Now, friends, the kidneys and the innards, they symbolize the seat of the emotions. So today, if you love someone, you may say something like, I give you my heart. In their culture, if they love someone, they may say something like, I give you my kidneys or I give you my liver. And I guess if you have kidney failure, that really is a sign of your love. That is a representation of the seed of the emotions. So what is required here is for the worshiper to come to give the very best of themselves, their deepest emotions to God. That is what happens in communion with God. Friends, it's not just about, okay, I believe in Jesus. He's forgiven me. He's accepted me. Okay, that's over. No, friends, that is just the starting point. The peace offering teaches us that we need to press on beyond just forgiveness and atonement to a real, living, deep, and abiding relationship with a God who invites us and calls us not just to be connected with him, but to commune with him at the deepest level, offering our very best to him, bringing our deepest emotions to him because God wants to dwell with us and to relate with us. The great Puritan John Owen, he begins his treatise on communion with God by expounding 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, this is what it says. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That word fellowship, he says we have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Son. Now that word fellowship has become very religious. You know, like, oh, in church, we fellowship with one another. And what that kind of means is just we spend time, we eat together. But that word fellowship, koinonia, is much richer in the original language. That word fellowship, koinonia, means communion. It means participation. It means oneness. It means a bond. Friends, 1 John 1.3 says, Our communion, our bond, our participation, our oneness is with the Father. And with the Son. This is what Christianity is about, friends. Yes, forgiveness of sins. Yes, atonement for your sins. But more than that, the goal of atonement is communion with Almighty God. And that is what all of us are being invited to. At the end of his life, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 to 17, after faithfully serving the Lord his entire life, he comes to the point where he says, everyone has deserted me. Everyone has deserted me. But you know what he says in verse 17? But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. That is how real Paul's dwelling and communion with God is. Can you imagine the sheer disappointment 
after living an entire life of faithfulness to the gospel, at the end of his life, he has to say, everyone has deserted me. And yet he can say, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. That is how deep his relationship and communion with God is. To Paul, communion with God was more precious than all of his friends combined. Friends, is that your experience of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit? That if everyone were to desert you, God would still stand by you and strengthen you. Friends, that is what communion with God looks like. The 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody he was very shy to speak of this, but he once said this, it is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. You see what C.L. Moody is saying? I had such an experience of communion with God where he poured his love on me to an extent that I had to say to God, God, it's enough. I'm overwhelmed. I can take no more. Stay your hand. Friends, the peace offering teaches us that this is what the gospel is about. Yes, forgiveness of sins. Yes, atonement. Yes, being accepted in the eyes of God, but pressing further into experiencing God and communing with God him in a very real and tangible way friends that is what all of us it doesn't matter your personality type whether you're emo or not it doesn't matter all of us are being invited to this kind of depth of relationship with the true and living god that is what the peace offering is teaching us but there's more friends the peace offering is also an invitation not just to commune with God at such a deep level, but to commune with others at a horizontal level who also embrace the same communion with God. Now, friends, so the fat goes to God, the two kidneys go to God, the liver goes to God. What happens to the rest of the animal? Well, Leviticus 7.15 says, The flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. Deuteronomy 12.7 says, You shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. God gets his portion. It's the very best portion but the rest of it is to be shared among the worshiper and his friends and his family in the presence of God with rejoicing. It's a party. It's a celebration. Now, friends, one other difference between the burnt offering and the peace offering, do you notice, is that there is no offering of birds. Now, remember, the burnt offering, the birds, uh, those were the poor man's offering. And in the peace offering, there's no option to offer birds. Why? There's not much meat on a bird, is he? But more than that, the peace offering is meant to be shared with friends and family in the community of God's people. 
So you offer the bull, surely you can't finish the bull, right? You share it. You offer a lamb, you share it. You offer a goat, you share it. God gets a portion of the peace offering, but the people get a portion of the peace offering too, and they are to eat it in the presence of God with thanksgiving and rejoicing in their hearts. In other words, as they are invited into communion with God, they are also invited into communion with God's people. You see, friends, in order for friendship and relationship to be strong, sturdy, and deep, you need a basis. You need a solid basis for that relationship. My friends, after Tim Keller's death last week, this week I found myself longing. There's a longing in my heart to connect with other people who also knew him, or had also had their lives impacted by him. Now, why is it, friends? Well, in some strange way, talking to these people, having conversations with them, connecting with them, helped me in some ways to get a part of Tim, even though he's no longer here with us. Now, friends, let me just be very categorical and clear. Tim Keller is not God. Tim Keller is not God. And every basis that we have for relationship will eventually fade away. The only basis and grounds for a relationship that is eternal and unchanging is God and his gospel. And when you have God and the gospel as that sure foundation, that's how relationships can be strong, sturdy, deep, and rejoicing. You will reach out to people who also, at the same time, enjoy and experience God and the gospel. And the flip side of that, friends, is that you realize that when you talk to someone else about God and the gospel, you begin to see aspects of God and the gospel that you would not be able to get by yourself. You see, friends, God is so much more interesting and the Word of God is so much more full than any one person can experience by themselves and for themselves. There is no human being on earth who is so multifaceted that as they experience God and His Word, they're able to draw out everything about God and His Word. There just isn't. If you think you're that person, you're not. Okay? No one person is so multifaceted that you'll be able to bring out everything about God. If you just experience God by yourself or just among a small clique of friends, your experience of God and your understanding of Him and His Word is going to be very multi-dimensional, very one-dimensional. But God has something richer for us. That as we dwell in His presence and we commune with others who also dwell in His presence, we experience aspects of His character and His being that we would never experience by ourselves. And that is also the invitation, friends, of the peace offering. Not just communion with God, but communion with one another that brings out more of the fullness of who God is into our lives. Now, some of you know the name John MacArthur. How many of you know the name John MacArthur? A couple of you. Uh, he's known in California, as a, by, uh, around the world, as a Bible expositor. But more than that, he's known as a fierce opponent of the charismatic movement, right? We're non-charismatic, he's anti-charismatic, okay? Slightly different, okay? Now, do any of you know the name Jack Hayford? Jack Hayford. Okay, maybe less well-known. 
also a pastor in California, passed away in January. He could not be more different from John MacArthur. He was a four-square Pentecostal pastor. He's the one who wrote the Spirit-filled life Bible. He's in the signs and wonders and miracles and visions, all of that and more. He's also the one who wrote the song Majesty, by the way. Your majesty, worship. Okay, some of you. Okay, never mind. Okay. That's him. Now, both of them could not be more different from one another. One is anti-charismatic and one is full-on Pentecostal. They should hate each other because they're so different. But they didn't. I found this interview with John MacArthur when he says this very curiously. He says, Jack Hayford and I have a lot in common. Periodically, we get together and we talk about ministry agreeing to disagree. And John MacArthur also said this, I've tried to ask Jack Hayford the right kind of questions, but he knows where I'm at. And it doesn't do any good to just constantly confront the differences. And then John MacArthur said this, I have a lot of respect, and I think he also means love, for charismatics who love Christ. Hear that again, friends. I have a lot of respect for charismatics who love Christ. And I'm sure if you ask Jack Hayford, he would have said, I have a lot of respect for non-charismatics who love Christ. You see, friends, if Christ has truly captured your heart in the gospel, you have truly seen the sinfulness and darkness of your heart and the greatness of his grace in saving you nonetheless, your heart is melted by that. Friends, if your heart is truly captured by Christ, it makes it very easy for you to reach out and connect with others whose hearts have also been captured by Christ, even though on the surface they seem very different from you. You see, friends, any other basis will always tear us apart. But if Christ and the gospel not just in your mind fleeting, but capturing your heart and your being so that you love Him and you feel Him and you experience Him. If that is your basis, it's easy, friends. It's easy to connect with others whose hearts have also been captured by Christ, even though on the surface they might be very different from you. And that too, friends, is an invitation of the peace communion with God, but also communion with all those that God has saved by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Finally, friends, there's a sacramental aspect to the peace offering. You see, friends, God's people need symbol and ritual to remind them and keep them in communion with God. Look at the last verse of Leviticus 3. Leviticus 3.17 it says this, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. So God gave them a statute. God gave them a rule. You shall not eat fat and you shall not eat blood. Now why, friends? Remember, friends, fat represents the very best of the animal's body. It was the very best part. And that was the part that was given up to God. Blood, on the other hand, Leviticus 17.11 says, represents life. And more than just life, my friends, 
a life that must be taken in order for communion with God to take place. So they're reminded of the costliness of communion with God. The very best, the fat has to be offered to the Lord. We couldn't consume it. And the blood that needs to be shed, we don't consume that too because it's precious. Blood has to be shed in order for communion with God to take place and communion with one another. They need the symbol and ritual to remind them constantly of the great cost of communion with God and communion with one another. And friends, we are not stronger than them. We also need symbol and ritual to remind us. And that is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 25, the Apostle Paul says, I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, friends, in the Old Testament, God says, refrain from the fat of the body and the blood to remember. In the New Testament, God says, partake of the body and the blood to remember. But in both cases, it's both a reminder and an invitation, a reminder of the costliness of communion with God. Friends, our communion with God came at a great cost. It is not free. It takes the giving of the very best life and the shedding of the most precious blood to bring us near to God. And that's how important the Holy Communion is, my friends. In the Holy Communion, God gives us a replay of the peace offering that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He reminds us over and over again, this communion that you have with me, this communion that you have with one another, it's costly. It costs my son his life. Communion is a reminder, but communion is also an invitation for each of us to dwell with God in relationship and to dwell with one another as we dwell with God. Friends, don't you think it's very sad that 85.6% of older adults in Singapore who are lonely actually live with others, mostly the families. Even though they're close proximity, they're in close proximity with their kin, they're still lonely. They don't feel that they can turn even to their children or grandchildren for help when they face problems. Maybe friends, as they look at their children and their grandchildren being preoccupied with work and studies, there's a hesitation in their hearts. I'm not going to bother them with my loneliness. And so they languish. They languish in loneliness, and they experience the devastating side effects of loneliness. They hesitate, 
because they're not sure how the children or the grandchildren will respond. Friends, because of Jesus Christ, we need never hesitate to come to God with our deepest emotions and our greatest needs. Ephesians 3.12 says this, In Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence to God. In Christ, my friends, we can boldly and confidently come into the presence of God, the God who wants to commune with us. And why do we have such great confidence, my friends? Because remember, friends, communion with God comes at a great cost. And God himself was willing to pay that price through the death of his son. The most precious body broken for us and the most precious blood shed for our sins. That was the cost, friends, that God was willing to pay to have communion with you and you, and you, and you. Friends, when you gaze at the cross and you see all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ, you need never hesitate to come near to God in prayer, in desperation, and you need never fear that he will stand aloof from you. Let's pray. Father, we just want to pray for this epidemic of loneliness uh, in the world, but also in Singapore. Uh, it's so sad. It breaks our hearts to know that there are so many who are languishing in loneliness. And as a result of the languishing, they are experiencing shorter lifespans and shorter quality and, and um, lesser quality of life. We pray, Father, that you would help us as your children first to respond well to those among us who have family members living with us, that we would see what Christ has done to draw us into communion with him and with one another, and so also share that same love and communion and fellowship with those who live with us. I pray, Father, that much more would be done to help us, Lord, not just to meet one another, but to connect with one another at a deep level. Father, we come before you and we confess to you that sometimes we sit on the outskirts, Lord. We're happy with having our sins forgiven, uh, having been accepted by you, and uh, we don't press on and press in to communion with you and communion with others. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to melt our hearts again with the costliness. What it cost you, Lord, to bring us into communion with you and communion with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.